This is the Alpha Human Podcast, and I am your host, Lawrence Rosenberg. Our guest today is Lawrence Larry Dietz, a nationally recognized expert in the areas of psychological warfare, cyber warfare, and information operations. Larry is a former military intelligence officer with the U.S. Army and was at one time the officer in charge of strategic intelligence with the 7th PSYOP Group, as well as commander of the 12th PSYOP Battalion and deputy commander of the Combined Joint Information Campaign Task Force in Sarajevo, Bosnia. Larry was also an information operations officer with US SOCOM, the United States Special Operations Command, and he is the author of the authoritative blog on psychological operations, the PSYOP Regimental Blog. Larry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lawrence. Great to be here. You know, um, you, I've only mentioned some of, your, <laughs> some of your bio. Your bio is quite extensive. Uh, I know that you're also an attorney. You're a judge. Um, you know, you've been a consultant uh, for uh, some, some heavyweight uh, IT companies, uh, cybersecurity companies. So uh, you are definitely an expert in a number of areas. Um, we're going to focus this show, this episode, on really your background in psychological operations and in, uh, information operations. So I, I guess the, the first thing I would like to get clear on for the audience is what is PSYOPs? What are psychological operations? Well, PSYOP is a term used to describe uh, anything a military force does to influence a group of people, whether that group of people is an opposing military force or a guerrilla force or uh, citizens of a foreign country, to behave or not behave in a certain way. That's a pretty broad definition. Okay. Um, so I'm going to use a, uh, a quote uh, that I've seen you use, which is, you know, which is a fantastic one. Uh, Hence to fight and conquer in all your battles is not supreme excellence. Supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting, Sun Tzu. Um, that, you know, is that uh, in an accurate um, understanding of why typically psychological operations are used uh, on an enemy uh, army or, and or uh, its population? Well, for sure, uh, you wanna, as a commander, you wanna remove whatever physical and violent threats there might be against your, your force. And so inducing the enemy to surrender is a really good way to do that. And PSYOP is a real battlefield multiplier where the influence actions and the, if you will, the marketing campaigns to convince an enemy to, that it's, it's futile to fight, uh, those are all very positive. Uh, however, in a number of situations where the military finds itself, the problem, the challenge is getting the cooperation of the civilian population mm -hmm. or providing the civilian population with information. So, uh, for example, if the military is in a humanitarian assistance disaster relief operation, mm -hmm. you, 
you, the military force, plus the host nation, want to provide information to the citizens and the potential migrants as to where they could find food and shelter. And uh, you want them to not interfere with military operations. And, and PSYOP is one of the non-kinetic tools, non-kinetic meaning you're not shooting or blowing them up, mm -hmm. uh, one of the non-kinetic tools to make that happen. Excellent. Um, so, uh, by the way, I notice uh, I like your background. Uh, what, I, you're, in a, you're in a Black Hawk. Is that a Black Hawk? Uh, yes, uh, I'm a volunteer for the Defense Department with the employer support to the Guard and Reserve. Lawrence, I don't know if you've ever heard of that group, but we're in, we're in the same section of the Pentagon as family readiness and family support. Okay. And so uh, we take employers who support their military personnel and bring them on field trips. This particular field trip, employers were on a uh, Blackhawk. And we've also taken them on C-130s. Uh, and there's just nothing like flying around the San Francisco Bay Area in your own helicopter, Lawrence. Take it from me. Especially if it's a Blackhawk. Well, uh, I've also done it with UH-1s. Um, which were supposed to be signals intelligence electronic warfare birds, but uh, those pilots reported to me, so they did what I asked them to do rather than being a mere passenger. Gotcha, gotcha. Sounds like a heck of a lot of fun. Um, so, Larry, how, how did you get into the world of psychological operations? Well, the Army, I was in the Army Reserve for 27 years, and I had just moved from Atlanta, Georgia, where I commanded a military intelligence company on Dobbins Air Force Base. And I moved out to California and I got a job as uh, one of the 83rd majors from the left at a reserve school. And I hated that job, I really did. And so I was having lunch one day and I ran into this uh, Lieutenant Colonel that I knew. And, he said, well, the 7th PSYOP group is looking for somebody. I said, what's the 7th PSYOP group? So he says, call this guy, gives me a phone. Okay. So I called that uh, guy, I was a lieutenant colonel at the time, and I was a major. And he uh, explained to me what PSYOP did, and he said, we have an opening for a team chief for our FD team, which is the strategic intelligence team. And so before you have a PSYOP campaign, Lawrence, you have to analyze the audience and figure out uh, languages, what's important to them, things you want to avoid, and you want to do research on governments and countries. And so they had a, a pretty rank heavy at the time, um, strategic intelligence team. That was my first assignment, the seventh PSYOP group. And I liked it. It was fun. So, okay, um, and I, I just want to pause here for a moment on that. Um, when, with respect to psyops and psychological operations, there's also this, um, and I don't know if it's, uh, if you want to call it um, two sides to the same coin, but there's also information operations. Well, information operations is an orchestrator. Information operations is the orchestrator of the non, I call them the non-kinetic fires. So the commander has at, at his or her disposal PSYOP, cyberspace operations, electronic warfare, civil military affairs, 
uh, combat camera, public affairs. These are all non-kinetic fires, and the I.O. officer, the information operations officer, orchestrates all of those non-kinetic fires to, to uh, help the commander accomplish his or her goals. So the I.O. guy as a staff officer has no line troops, generally, no real authorities. Joint Pub 3-13, putting everybody together. Okay, so I actually want to quote something out of that, uh, out of that publication that you just mentioned. Um, so it says that the Secretary of Defense now characterizes I.O. as the integrated employment during military operations of information-related capabilities in concert with other lines of operation to influence, disrupt, corrupt, or usurp the decision-making of adversaries and potential potential adversaries while protecting our own forces. Yeah, the, the IO doctrine is essentially designed to dominate uh, the information domain of war, the information domain of battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I personally have to extend that because a lot of what is done today uh, with the military force around the world is not necessarily a battle per se. It's you're in a country, you're not shooting at anybody. Mm-hmm. So the influence war, if you will, the non-kinetic war uh, has to be orchestrated. And that's what the IO guy does. And so what happens is you then have the non-kinetic people, the information operations people, they, they look at an area and targeting. And then you have the let's blow them up and shoot them guys, the kinetic guys. And those two meet at a target joint targeting working group where a recommendation is ultimately formulated and presented to the commander. So you have to be able to balance and orchestrate your kinetic and non-kinetic fires. And IO is the non-kinetic fire control. And um, when it comes to the non-kinetic fires, are, are there in- instances where you will, you will first invest in... So what I'm wondering is, and I guess both... Uh, of these concepts could be true uh, and are mutually exclusive or not. But what I'm referring to is a, are these non-kinetic fires, uh, are are they given an opportunity to uh, burn down any resistance before going in or they used to pepper the ground and soften the ground to go in? Well, I think most commanders that have uh, a real strategic vision recognize that the use of non-kinetic fires can make their job easier to accomplish their mission. Mm -hmm. And so the non-kinetic fires would certainly be before uh, kinetic operation. How how far in advance um, could such an operation uh, be allowed to play out before... Uh, well, that, that would kind of, Lawrence, that would kind of depend on the OPSEC, the operational security that that commander wants to maintain. Mm-hmm. If the commander wants to have a surprise attack, then, of course, you wouldn't do very much. Um, in, in Iraq, for example, they used uh, leaflets dropping out of planes onto the tanks and saying, today it's leaflets, tomorrow it's bombs. You don't want to be in these tanks. 
Right. You know, so there was clearly a telegraphing of what the plan was going to be. Uh, in Georgia, uh, the Russians used a cyber attack on, a, on uh, Georgia, Estonia, two different situations, mm -hmm. as a prelude to a kinetic attack. So it's kind of like a digital artillery barrage. Uh, and in terms of length, in some situations, uh, you, you could, not necessarily the American force, but another force would be planning to be, uh, take over uh, a territory that adjoins theirs. And so they might want to try and seed the information battlefield, uh, traditional media as well as social media, with their point of view, uh, well before attempting any kinetic activity. So there's, mm -hmm. there's no real hard, fast rule. And then, you know, again, because it can get a bit, um, you know, there are subtleties, right? There are subtleties here. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, you know, on the one hand, we're talking psyops, then we're talking, you know, information operations or IO, then we're talking influence operations. It, it, what is there a difference uh, when it comes to influence operations? Well, inf influence, op influence operations and information operations, in my opinion, are very much synonyms. PSYOP is one of the tools for IO, for influence operations. Social media, disinformation, that is another tool. Electronic warfare, jamming a target so they can't receive anything. That's another tool. And then uh, the act of jamming can also be considered a psi act, a psychological act designed to have an impact. So uh, for, for example, uh, I worked an exercise uh, recently, like last week, uh, where we had a, a hypothetical country calls in Americans because the country's, uh, their president died and the vice president is, is now the president and some people didn't like that. And so there's a, a lieutenant colonel in the army of that country that wants to have a coup. And so he tries to get a convoy to come down to the capital city. Meanwhile, uh, the commanding general says that, that convoy is not to reach that city. Mm -hmm. So first you would try non-kinetic fires. You would try text messages, you would try leaflets, you would try stuff like that to get them to stop. They keep going and you have an F-18, whoosh, and a flyover. And then if they're dumb enough to still keep going, you just have to blow them up. Gotcha, gotcha, okay, excellent, thank you. Um, so what elements of uh, the US military or the, the US government use uh, psychological operations? Is it, is it just uh, the military and then within the military who? Uh, is it also the intelligence agencies? Who uses PSYOPs within? Well, our... PSYOP by definition is a creature of the military. Okay. That's the definition of military influencing the behavior of a target audience. Okay. And so the Marine Corps has recently uh, organized their information uh, operations efforts under a three-star. Interesting. The, the Army has PSYOP groups in the active force and the uh, reserve force. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, frankly, I'm not up on what the Navy and the Air Force have. The Air Force has gravitated much more towards the cyber world. Uh, and those are kind of the military forces. Now, having said that, the U.S. government writ large engages to influence and inform. Uh, many people regard those two terms as synonymous, influence and inform. Okay. And so the public diplomacy uh, function of the Department of State is to influence uh, foreign audiences along the lines of the, the goals that the, uh, the president and the secretary of state have said are important to share with the rest of the world. Okay, understood. Um, and the CIA, are they involved in, uh, in influence operations? I haven't a clue. Okay. How, how does interaction among um, the PSYOP groups and also public affairs and civil affairs, how do they intersect or how do they integrate? Well, on the ground, um, uh, the the PSYOP folks and the public affairs folks and and civil affairs are all part of uh, a force. Okay. So uh, PSYOP, public affairs, civil affairs, they would be dotted line to the J-39, who's the, uh, the influence uh, operations guy. Okay. And then uh, the, uh, there would be a synergy of the messages, and there'd be a clear delineation of who's going to use what, and uh, there would be some uh, coordination to make sure that the messages are reinforcing rather than committing information fratricide. In terms of peacetime, peacetime, uh, and and I should mention one other thing, each of those three elements, PA, PSYOP, and CA, civil affairs, have different responsibilities. Uh, Civil affairs, their main job is to bolster the government, to provide expertise and information uh, and subject matter experts uh, to the government, agriculture, political, legal, okay. uh, how to run an inspector general department, how to run criminal justice systems. That's more civil affairs. Uh, SIOP, as we mentioned, runs influence operations. Uh, SIOP can also be an advertiser. They can buy time or buy space. And uh, public affairs, public affairs is the voice of the commander. And public affairs, unlike PSYOP, public affairs can work with a U.S. audience. Military PSYOP cannot do anything with a U.S. audience. Unless it's disaster uh, related and they have been asked specifically to provide, as was done, loudspeakers in the hurricane in Florida to provide information where to go, what to do. So, okay, so then have, have military PSYOP groups um, uh, deployed within America during any instances? Hurricane. Hurricane was the last one I saw. The one in Florida. Oh, okay. Florida. Okay. If I was trying to do four things at once, Lawrence, if I was a millennial, I'd be, I'd be going, what hurricane was that? But I don't remember. Understood. (laughs) So for example, here in California, we have, uh, the 7th SIOP Group headquarters, we have the 12th SIOP Battalion, 
here at Moffitt Field in the San Francisco area. Okay. We also have a PSYOP company in Southern California. But those units have never, to my knowledge, been used to support things like California wildfires. That's a function of the National Guard. National Guard providing uh, logistical support and military police support uh, with respect to wildfires in particular. Okay, and this is, of course, we're talking disaster relief. I mean, what if we were talking about uh, instances of civil unrest? Never seen that done. That would be against the law, as I understand it. Okay. Okay, interesting. Thank you. Um, And there's also the aspect of posse comitatus there, where normally law enforcement would be used for riot control warrants, Mm -hmm. and you can't use military uh, troops for law enforcement, with the exception of federalized National Guard. Civil War law, posse comitatus. Now, I am, so I wouldn't be talking about necessarily riot control, um, as relevant uh, as that is to actually the, the time and place that we're having this conversation. But actually, um, I'm more referring to the, the need or, or not, depending on who's making that judgment, for the right type of messaging uh, coming from uh, the government during times of civil breakdown and civil unrest. Uh, and uh, it might not even be, I'm t- you know, what we're seeing right now play out on the news daily in some major cities, these are riots. But in the instance of a full-scale breakdown of civil order, let's say at, in, during a disaster or an EMP attack, for instance, right, where you've had, you know, a, you know, a region of the country completely blacked out, um, you know, posse comitatus, I understand, but who would then, who would then engage in this type of, uh, you know, these type of information operations? Well, that would be a function of the civilian government. And uh, my experience in, in disaster deployment as a Red Cross public affairs officer is that the county runs the show pretty much. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, and okay. So, um, th- by the way, thank you for clearing uh, up, you know, that and also the uh, uh, psychological operations, PA, CA, you know, civil affairs, what their roles are. Let me ask you this. So you have U.S. Army Special Forces, right? You have the Green Berets. Uh, and, uh, you know, SF, their, you know, their doctrine, their mission is... Right. What's that? I said, right, I'm with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah their mission is to uh, help overthrow, uh, you know, the regime in power and foment, uh, you know, a revolution. And in those instances... I, I wouldn't say that's one of their missions, but not a, I'm not an SF guy. Well, uh, well you know, I, I speak to a lot of the SF guys, um, and that is, you know, exactly what they're tasked with doing. They're tasked with going in there, training, advising, and uh, uh, building a uh, a rebel force a resistance okay. force hypothetically right Hypo- of course hypothetically but no no this is you know this is uh this is the doctrine right i mean that's what we did with uh to to help initially in afghanistan to take down the taliban which we did originally um and then it's it's gone on from there but originally you, you had the green berets go in there and uh um using uh, the afghanis themselves 
we, we helped overthrow the Taliban. But what, I, what I'm suggesting is that, do, or what I'm asking is, does, do the um, uh, special forces, army special forces work in concert? I know they work in concert with, um, with civil affairs. Do they work in concert with psychological operations? Oh, I think that's more than fair to say that Special Forces works with PSYOP. In fact, uh, PSYOP, the branch, Psychological Operations U.S. Army, the branch proponent is at Fort Bragg, the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center and School. Okay. And so the, uh, the lead dog for PSYOP doctrine is the Special Forces. And uh, historically, PSYOP was originally part of the SF, but uh, PSYOP is more of a special operations force, not special forces. Special forces are the Green Berets, the SEALs, uh, Marine Recon, Delta Force, all those guys. Whereas special operations forces, they are the forces that support uh, special ops. Um, okay, very interesting. So, um, so they're at Bragg. That's... Uh... It's very interesting. Uh, so I don't, I don't believe that a, an, an SF detachment has like a PSYOP guy on it, like they have a medic. Okay. But it's fair to say that uh, they must have, although I'm not personally familiar with, they must have a certain amount of training in uh, PSYOP because that is a big part of working with a non-conventional force. That's right. Unconventional warfare. <laughs> this is certainly, um, a, you know, a psyop specialty. Um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a quote to you um, and then ask a question. Um, and this is a quote by uh, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Um, In this war which was total in every sense of the word. Obviously, we're talking about World War II. World War II, yeah. We have seen many great changes in military science. It seems to me that not the least of these was the development of psychological warfare as a specific and effective weapon. Now, most in the, the business world, uh, which you're you know, quite, uh, quite immersed in, Larry, most in the business world understand the power of influence uh, and how it is used as a method to market and sell products and services. But uh, can you elucidate for us how influence and psychological uh, manipulation or, or, or warfare is used as a weapon? Well, I think what Eisenhower was talking about was not necessarily a PSYOP as we think of it today. Okay. But, but more in the line of military deception. Military deception being another tool of the non-kinetic warrior. Okay. Where, and, and I'm sure you're familiar with a number of these classic deceptions. Uh, my personal favorite was Patton's fake army, which was leading the Germans to believe that the invasion would be at Calais rather than at Normandy and the use of the balloons and the use of fake radio traffic. Uh, no one would argue that that plays on the psychology of the enemy. Mm. But, but since your audience is interested in learning a little bit more about the jargon, uh, it, that's military deception uh, per se. 
not necessarily PSYOP. Okay. And, and again, um, there are nuances here for the uninitiated, even myself. Um, so, and so what is the difference between, a, you know, a PSYOP and uh, deception? Well, is military, a, PSYOP, a PSYOP is not always a deception? Well, PSYOP is, is mostly based in truth. Your most successful PSYOP is based in truth. Leaflets coming down. Members of the Iraqi army. Tomorrow, these are bombs. Okay. okay. Uh, you, there, there was the old uh, psychological thing in World War II that uh, the Germans would say, cartoon characters are sleeping with your girlfriend at home you know, to the American soldiers, you know, things like that. That made, that made no sense. Uh, <laughs> okay. So that's a, a poorly uh, uh, constructed uh, disinformation campaign. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Popeye the sailor. Okay. So, so if we're doing it right, um, which, if we're doing it right, um, and, you know, the, the thing is, when I think of psychological operations or, or, or um, Psywar, you know, the, the most graphic images I have in my head are a lot of what happened during World War II um, and World War I. I mean, you know, again, um, th this, is, this is the image we have. The leaflets is a, is a big, big part of what I imagine. Sure. Um, and, you know... It always appeared that, and but I being ensconced in American culture, it just might be that I'm in a bubble, but it just seemed like America dominated, as 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 Ike said, as Eisenhower said, um, milita you know this this new science uh, of psychological uh, warfare. Um, it it just seemed like we were the masters of that game at that time. Was anyone else? Well, I, I think in terms, terms of World War II, I would have to give the Japanese some credit. I mean, I think Tokyo Rose uh, and her German counterpart, Tokyo Rose, uh, probably um, messed with the minds of more than one service member, causing doubt in their mind. Talk about Tokyo Rose for the uh, for those who are not familiar with who what Tokyo was. Rose was. Uh, I believe she was an American who uh, played music, popular music of uh, World War II, and would, would uh, disparage the fighting ability of the American force and would basically tell the service members that they're, uh, they're in a losing war and that they're, uh, they're fighting a losing cause and that their girlfriends back home are being disloyal and uh, generally uh, trying to mess with the morale of the American soldier. So this was not just, I mean, even back then, this was not just the domain of the American military. No, I wouldn't think so. And frankly, uh, you're familiar with how the Germans used specially trained uh, soldiers who spoke English and dressed in American uniforms um, at the start of the Battle of the Bulge. No, I'm not aware. And, well, there was a German force that was uh, trained in English and were personating Americans. Okay. And they, they did some raiding and there was some, uh, I'm sure that impacted morale negatively a fair bit. So, so they, I don't. They were wearing, they also wore. American, American uniforms. 
American, they were dressed as American soldiers. Wow. Okay. That's a very interesting story. I've, I've not heard. I'm going to have to look into that. That's very, uh, very interesting. Um, so, okay. So, so this was a skill that was starting to get um, sharpened by a number of nations, number of militaries uh, during the 20th century. I think that's what, fair. Yeah. Okay. What, so then what were, or what, I'm sorry, not war, but what are the skills of Psy War? What are the well, skills of Psy War? First of all, I, I think the first skill is you have to be culturally attuned to the target, whatever the target audience may be, military civilians, their country, their language. Uh, you have to be attuned. Okay. You, you also have to have an understanding of what biases uh, that target audience already has that you could appeal to uh, that would accomplish what you want to accomplish and would be comfortable for the target to assume that belief. Uh, then you would have to figure out how does the target audience get information? Okay. And, and how can I get information to them in a credible way? Uh, you would have to be able to figure that out as well. Okay. And then, of course, you'd have to have the capability of getting the information out. And then you would have to be smart enough and objective enough to develop measurements of effectiveness. How am I doing? Uh, and adjust your, your non-kinetic fires uh, to get better results. And unfortunately, when you're in a big organization, uh, an alliance, so to speak, okay. uh, not every country has, has the same interests. And so well, there, there has to be a recognition of what is the alliance's goal and how to further that, notwithstanding the interests of the individual members. So you mentioned initially um, in, that, uh, in that description, you mentioned understanding the cultural, uh, the culture itself that you're targeting. Um, some, of the, you know, some of these uh, soft skills um, like uh, psychology, I would assume. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to be- skilled. Also salesmanship. Salesmanship is a big part of PSYOP. And frankly, I think one of the most effective tools is the tactical PSYOP team. Those soldiers who speak the language go into the hamlets and villages and talk to the locals and maybe have a newspaper in that language. That's a very important part of it, salesman skills. And in fact, when the 12th PSYOP battalion was deploying to Bosnia, mm -hmm. I, uh, I felt that my troops needed to have sales training. And unfortunately, when you go through uh, the qualification to get shipped out overseas, there's not a whole lot of fluff time. And <laughs> so I called uh, Zig Ziglar in Dallas, Texas, very famous a legend. trainer. A legend. And because I was a big fan of his, uh, and I had his cassettes in my car. So did I. And, and they were responsible for more than one deal that I got. And I called him up and I said, this is Lieutenant Colonel Larry Dietz. I'm deploying with a task force army reservists in Bosnia. I wonder if Zig would donate his book, Secret of Closing the Sales. I need about a hundred. Well, he's in Dallas, you know, Lawrence, he's down there in Dallas. 
And the late, nice lady on the phone said, well, Colonel, let me check on and get back to you. I said, fine. So she calls me back. She says, Colonel, we have a couple of boxes, our books, that the, the cover's the wrong color. We can't sell them. You paid for the shipping. We'll send them to you. I said, you got a deal. Here's my credit card. And so when you saw the soldiers getting ready to deploy, they had their map reading book, their M16 cleaning manual, secrets of closing the sale, uh, Bosnia's phrases. It was, uh, it was cool. And I, we had a lot of troops that were on the ground there. And selling techniques are, are very, very helpful, uh, no matter what your, your specialty is. Mm particularly when you're trying to influence people to do something. That is an amazing story, uh, Larry. Just human nature is human nature. I had uh, one situation uh, in the TV wars, the Battle of Udrakovo, mm -hmm. which I don't know if we'll have time to get into today, but to make a long story short, in Bosnia, you had uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, and surrounding it, you had the Republika Srpska which is attached to Serbia. Okay. And I had to go down to Pale, which was the capital, the seat of all the anti-Bosnia-Herzegovina anti people to their TV station. Mm -hmm. uh, and the gal who was the operations manager was reportedly a very hard nut, hard to get along with. Okay. And so uh, I had the pleasure of being able to walk to work. And uh, we stayed in a building called the, the Parliament, which had housed troops since the 1800s. Okay. In fact, I walked right by a little plaque that said, Archduke Ferdinand was shot here. And so I'd go to work and I'd see, you know, all kinds of things. I saw a flower stand. And uh, I bring my wife, her Royal Highness, the Queen Mother, gets flowers every week. Okay. And I said, I'm going to bring this nice lady some flowers. And so that's what I did. And everybody was pretty friendly. So human nature is human nature. And so one of the soft skills you have to have is the ability to get along with other people. And sometimes you can't teach that. Mm, mm. Absolutely incredible. You know, that for the past, that's what I've done for the past 25 years, sales training, uh, leading sales teams. If I would have known, I, you know, maybe I would have uh, volunteered for psychological operations. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, it's a, it's a useful skill, trust me. Absolutely. Uh, so, it's, also, it's also useful if you're a staff officer and you're trying to get that dirtbag general to do something and he outranks you doesn't care about you. <laughs> Salesmanship can be helpful. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, this is uh, phenomenal stuff, Larry. Well, you know, speaking of, okay, so while we're on this subject, I think this is a great uh, segue because I wanted to, so I, I want to read a quote to you. Uh, because it's pertinent to a, a question that I have. And the quote is from Edward Bernays, uh, the father of... Propaganda dude. There you go. I, I knew you would know him <laughs> with your background. Uh, but yeah, the fa father of modern day uh, uh, public relations. Uh, he was named one of the 100 most influential Americans of the 20th century by Life magazine. Uh, in 1928, he published uh, his seminal work, which you just mentioned, Propaganda. He wrote the book, Propaganda. He wrote another book earlier uh, than that uh, called Crystallizing Public Opinion. But he, 
Now, here's the quote uh, from, it's actually from the book Propaganda. He says, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, and our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. It is they who pull the wires that control the public mind. And so given what you were saying before about uh, the importance of, 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 sa of salesmanship, um, how thin is the line that separates psychological operations from marketing, from modern day advertising, from public relations? Well, frankly, that kind of depends who you ask the question to. Many of my brothers and sisters in the military, when, when you say, you know, I, I think there's a lot of marketing and sales and psyop will give you the Heisman. No, not true. It's totally different. Okay. <clears throat> but the principles are very much the same. You know, like in advertising, we always talk about frequency and reach. How many people am I reaching? How often? The more often reinforcing the message. That's also true. So I, I think they're pretty closely aligned. And if I was the one in charge of career planning uh, for public affairs, PSYOP officers, I would ensure that they cross fertilize and did some commercial work if they could or get a M, M master's degree in marketing communications with a commercial emphasis. Okay. Or if they were... PSYOP guys have some sort of public affairs exposure. Okay. Because, because when you look at an entity, whether the entity is the military, whether the entity is a corporation, whether the entity is a nonprofit, I have my public affairs people who curry favor with the media so that the media will give me more than an even shake. I have my marketing people who write the blogs, who post on Facebook, who develop the brochures, who tell me what trade shows to go to in a non-COVID world, of course. And those are different skills, but they're all aimed at the same thing, and that is to get that person in the top of what's called the sales funnel. Right. And then they want to take that person to make it a customer journey from the top of the sales funnel to the purchase to the repeat purchase. And uh, PSYOP is not totally like that. Okay. Uh, PSYOP, it kind of depends on the time frame. So uh, we, I talked about Iraq. It was a short fuse time frame. I want those guys to get out of their tanks and leave their, right, their weapons. Mm -hmm. That's a short range uh, time frame. Whereas we've been in... Uh, Afghanistan for like eight or nine billion years, I think. I'm not sure if it's eight or nine billion, but it's a really Close long enough. time. And so the force there has now contracted and has very little connection uh, to the population, as I would think. 
Fortunately, I've never been to either Iraq or Afghanistan, but that's my guess. And that's been a long-term effort, but they have not been able to convince the Taliban that their beliefs are, are not as modern as they should be. You right. know, you, you guys should want cell phones, you guys should want to do this, you know. But uh, the influence hasn't worked, so. So, yeah, so, well, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, it's not, you know, it, it's worked, it hasn't worked, hasn't worked for a long time in Afghanistan, it worked initially, um, but, you know, there's, there's so many factors at play there. But when we talk about, you know, the power, uh, and you clearly understand, um, the more we get to talk here, you clearly understand sales methodology, sales process, marketing, um, which, uh, you know, interestingly enough, I've, you know, I've, I've read your bio. I know, you know, I know some of the companies you work for and what you do for them. I mean, you know, what you're doing now, a lot of it around, uh, you know, law and, um, in contracts and, 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 you know, this kind of advisory, um, and data privacy and all your other areas of expertise Hell, You could, you know, you could be running a sales, uh, you know, operation for a major company, given what you understand from the way you're describing it to me. Um, but it not only is it as, as you know as powerful uh, from a corporate marketing standpoint to kind of uh, persuade and convince someone to buy a product or a service, but uh, here's a quote from uh, Field Marshal Paul von Hindenburg, right, who during World War I said the following: "The enemy bombards our front." not only with a drum fire of artillery, but also with a drum fire of printed paper. Besides bombs which kill the body, his airmen also throw down leaflets, which are intended to kill the soul. So, so I like that one. I've never heard that one. That's a good one. There you go. So, you know, we talk about leaflets and how powerful they were, and it's certainly you know, still in my mind is like the epitome of psychological warfare. But later on, you know, another, another vehicle for the, the, the transmission. Well, don't, don't, don't undersell the poor leaflet. The poor leaflet is still doing yeoman's duty. If you remember, I did a, a couple of blog posts on Korea. You wrote, you wrote something about the Koreas, right? Yeah, the, the, there's South Korean protesters that don't like the North and they're sending balloons over the border with leaflets and then the North Koreans they're kind of PO'd about that Lawrence and they're sending trash over in balloons uh, to the south and in fact uh, I'm pretty sure South Korea has a leaflet museum. It's, uh, that is just absolutely amazing I, I didn't know that so uh, to this day obviously very powerful. So the, the leaflet can be a, a workhorse you know and it, it kind of depends on the situation. Fair enough. You know, the leaflet can be a real psi act because if I can drop a leaflet on you, that means I can drop a bomb on you. And if, if you are looking for the perfect holiday gift, Lawrence, you can get an attachment for your, for your drone that is uh, you can drop your own leaflets. You can put this thing on the bottom of, I think it's a Maverick MJI drone, one of these nice size ones, and you can go a couple of hundred yards and 
dropped leaflets on somebody. Unbelievable. And in fact, uh, domestically, there were some leaflets dropped, uh, anti-Semitic leaflets uh, dropped in uh, Sacramento uh, at a football game. Uh, I did a blog entry on that. I don't remember exactly what year. So the leaflet is still with us. It's a dependable little product. But of course, the leaflet has to be very carefully uh, constructed and designed so that the message is very apparent because you don't have a lot of space. Mm -hmm. And your audience has to be able to read it. You know, it has to be uh, an appeal. So... So we go from the leaflet to radio, as you mentioned, Tokyo Rose, to TV. And you, you talk about, um, you mentioned it earlier, going to the TV station in, uh, in Bosnia. Bosnia. Um, how was, because I know you talk about the, the Bosnian TV wars, I think you called it. That's what, right. What were One they doing on TV? Well, uh, the TV and the, uh, the radio uh, on the Serb side, were uh, trying to convince the local population to take up arms against NATO. And so the commanding general of the 1st Infantry Division, I believe it was General, general Grange at the time, uh, sent an, uh, an infantry company to take out a TV tower, take control of a TV tower and unplug it. Mm -hmm. So if you remember my little picture, the, the Republic of Srpska runs like a spine over Bosnia-Herzegovina and they're it's a whole string of radio TV repeaters that go down the spine of the country. Okay. And like Christmas lights, if you take one out, the ones below it are not going to work. Okay. And so NATO controlled the TV going this way. This was kind of the moderate way in Bosnia. This was Banja Luka. And this was Pale, where the, the bad guy, the bad, bad guys were. And so uh, that was out in the, the, uh, the Serbs were totally freaked out because they missed their TV. And uh, their favorite TV program were pirated Venezuelan soap operas. But they were really unhappy about not getting TV. And so uh, ultimately a deal was cut where NATO was given an hour of broadcast time, okay. uh, prime time, from Pale. And so, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, I got to be the guy to go down with the NATO expert du jour and, uh, and go into the TV station. And I have no idea how effective they were, but I'd like to just contrast the American uh, representative with the British representative, if I may. Please. So the American representative to go on primetime TV was Jacques Klein, who was a professional diplomat and was the number two guy at the office of the uh, high representative. Okay. And so I had a Humvee and a driver, just so happened I had a female driver. I felt like General Eisenhower. And so uh, we followed all these giant black SUVs with the lights and mm, the guys with the spectrum, all the guns and everything, just mm -hmm all the way down from Sarajevo to Pali in our little Humvee just kind of bouncing along. Then uh, there was the French general, General Monsui. Uh, he brought a box of champagne with him to celebrate what a wonderful uh, performance he'd be giving, which I thought was kind of classy. Okay. And then I got this call from uh, 
the civil affairs general who was then given the mission to do this because my boss was a colonel and you can't have a little colonel doing important work like this. So the civil affairs general who, who happened to be the guy that pinned my, my silver leaf on that I worked for at some side group. Okay. Larry, you're going to go down with the British ambassador, whatever night it was. Fine. Here's the address. So I got out my best Brooklyn city map reading and I'm walking around and I find this house. Go in and I'm going to look in you know, man trap. You know what a man trap is, right? What's that? Man trap is you walk in a door, but you can't open the other door. So you're in like a little vestibule. Gotcha. So that's the British embassy. And I go in and I say, Lieutenant Colonel Deeds, I'm here to go with the ambassador, escort the ambassador down to Polly. Oh, he's expecting you, sir. Go in. I walk in there. There's a picture of the Olympics from Sarajevo. And the uh, ambassador says to me, Oh, Lieutenant Colonel Deeds, just wait a moment. I'm going to fill up my pen, hit the loo, and then we can go. Go on. Okay, kind of classy dude, taking a fountain pen. And we go outside, and there's a, a Range Rover and a big Indian guy and a, and a weapon next to the big Indian guy. I get in the car and I say, where's, where's the rest of your entourage, Mr. Ambassador? Oh, no, we're fine. Go ahead. So off we go. Uh, we get down to the TV station. He gets ready to go on, and I go, uh, Mr. Ambassador, sir, where's your interpreter? Because, oh, I speak Serbo-Croatian. You saw the Olympic photo there. I was on the, I was a coach on that team. That was me. So here I got this wow. big guy, American guy, you know. Right. And then uh, French, the British guy knows how to speak Serbo-Croatian. Whose message do you think was more effective? There you go. Soft skill, culture. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, let's move into uh, now the 21st century. Uh, okay. Uh, so, I, you know, when we talk about uh, Psy War these days, we're talking about um, information warfare is conducted in the cyber domain. Cyberspace operations. There you go. How is this? So, so <sighs> you know, cyber influence, right? Cyber war and psychological operations. How does this differ from previous forms of... Uh, well, first of all, you need a modicum of technical expertise to be on the cyber side. Okay. Uh, strangely enough, I don't think you need to be a propeller head, as we used to say in the olden days, meaning a very technical person. Okay. But you need to have the resources to get on the internet. And uh, you, know how, you need to know how to leverage technology Okay. And you also still need the same skills of message creating. Only now, you're not necessarily trying to make up true messages. You're trying to make up real black propaganda. Propaganda has three colors. Okay. Uh, your audience might be interested in a quick sidebar here. We have yeah, black, white, black, white, and gray. Tell and us. so white propaganda means it's very clear who the source is. Uh, gray propaganda means it's hard to determine the source. 
And that's because there's 33 layers down in the website or some other reason, but the source is obfuscated. Okay. And black is just blatantly false. Okay, so like black so, ops, black product. Okay. So cyberspace ops, mostly disinformation, black propaganda. Don't want to know the source. Source is a bad guy, bad, bad, bad. And so you need technical expertise. You still need to understand the culture and the language and everything else. Okay. Uh, and you have to understand what is the person on. Are they on this? Are they on a 27-inch monitor? Are they on Gibbs's flip phone from NCIS? You know, what does it look like? Right. Uh, from a governmental perspective, it's, it's just a rat nest. Um, How so? Well, in, in our world, we have the DOD world. We have the Cyber Command, U.S. Cyber Command, mm -hmm. which is commanded by the director of NSA but has the same status as the war fighting commands that are geographic, Indo-Pacific, CENTCOM, UCOM, Central Command, European Command. And I, I have felt personally, this is Larry Deeds' personal opinion, that uh, the American side of the war does not have a handle on harnessing the influence skills. They may be really good at the technology skills, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily the influence skills. And of course, part of that is under the water because a lot of what we do in the cyber world is pretty highly classified. So there's, I don't necessarily think that the military resources are uh, apportioned appropriately. And in fact, just yesterday I did a posting on I read it. I'd love to, yeah, tell our, tell our audience. I did a posting yesterday on, uh, deep fake, fake news, deep fakes uh, in Poland. Uh, as uh, your listeners, audience may or may not know, the U.S. is uh, transferring soldiers from Germany to Poland, mm -hmm. several thousand of them. And uh, there are organizations, let's pick one, my buddy Vlad, Vlad Putin probably doesn't think that's a good idea. He probably doesn't want that to happen, right. you know. I haven't had coffee with him in a long time, but he's an old MI guy too, and I don't sell him short. So the Russian government does not want American troops next door in Poland, for sure. And so they planted a fake, fake video of, with the commanding general. They planted a fake story about an American soldier who was in, who killed a, alleged, who killed a Polish soldier and then stole the car. So what was interesting about this uh, fake story, Lawrence, was that they had a real soldier's name who was in the unit who was there in Poland. And so when the counter-propaganda people are piecing this together, they're going, these boys did their homework. <laughs> and, and how do you think the Russians knew what soldier was in Poland? How? Well, the Americans are not the only ones on Facebook, dude. Hi, Mom. Here I am in Germany. So this is like, uh, you know, I read your, your post. I read that. And, uh, you know, I found that part. That's the, the, that is the most uh, key element of the whole thing, that they used 
a real soldier, uh, the real name, who was in the unit, who was over there. They got that information. And, you know, you talk about how that was, you know, the research that must have went in behind it to do a proper, you know, uh, influence operation or disinformation campaign to the, pol to the polls. Um, the, you know, the, the enemy found a real soldier, as you say, with a real unit in a deployed situation. So I want to ask you, prior to the enormous collection of personal data, search engines, uh, social media, you mentioned Facebook, um, marketing, let's, you know, back to mark, marketing was confined to the data at hand, which was much more broad it was demographically based, right? We had, we had data on populations, but today, yeah, yeah. right? But today we have what's called micro-targeting because it, right now, right? We, we have so a tsunami of personal information that is out there, both that we're, and we're, we're getting, we don't, it's not even like we have to be hacked. We're just giving we, it. We, we have gone from an era where information was a precious commodity. If, if, you're, if you think back to in the olden days, the IBM mainframe, you know, that was the, the big computer dog was the big mainframe. Mm -hmm. And if you're a large company making a decision on buying a big mainframe and accessories and software, that was a big deal. Right. And, and that information was, was hard to come by. And so the market research business for IT, there was a guy, Gideon Gartner, started the Gartner Group. Gideon Gartner was originally a financial analyst with Oppenheimer, whose uh, bread and butter was forecasting what IBM was going to do. And so that information was very valuable. Today, the problem is not getting the information. The problem is there's too much information out there. So... It's not what, what are the feeds and speeds. You, you can get more and more information out there on the internet comparing products and people than you know what to do with. That, that's, that's correct. And kind of where I'm going with this, because that becomes, you know, all part of the, the matrix of... That's uh, right. Of, right, of, of misinformation, disinformation. Right. You know, it so becomes... I'm, I'm out there, I'm trolling Facebook. I'm trolling Instagram. Uh, I'm, I'm trolling uh, Pinterest, I'm trolling Twitter, I'm looking at LinkedIn profiles, I'm developing analysis on a LinkedIn profile between how this one worked for that one knows that one, and I'm using all of that to create my stories. And, you know, so if you're, and this is the thing. People do not, people are not executives, high level executives that are in, that work with companies that have, that have technological secrets, um, that, you know, mil military, um, uh, members of the military, special operators, they're on social media. For most, e even in the military, a lot of people are unaware that there is someone in Russia, that there is someone in China, that are part of their psychological operations that are building profiles on these people for use to do exactly what happened in Poland. And the thing is, as opposed to now psychological operations operating to a mass audience, we can micro-target, just like marketers can micro-target. Sure, it's like in the computer 
crime business, you're familiar with the term phishing. Yes. Phishing, P-F-H-S, phishing, where I have a false email and it's designed to have the recipient do something with it. So there's a thing called spear phishing where I'm sending that email to a particular target. I send that email to the treasurer and this email may in fact look like an email from the president of the company. Please wire $55,283.26 to Joe Bedorkis Inc. Here's the wire transfer. Thanks, Bill the president. Out it goes. Okay, so, so your, your blog post on what took place in, uh, in Poland uh, where they used that real soldier's information to, to create that um, influence op. That, that's a sterling example of, of, of what we're talking about. On our, so now let's go to our side, uh, you know, the American part of the equation, um, because, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you here um, regarding your thought, because I know you mentioned your opinion on our, you know, our ability in this, in this area and I have it here somewhere because, um, you know, you had mentioned that um, information on the American side is, is kind of, it's neglected. It's not part of the targeting table, I think, you, you, you know, the way you uh, prefaced it. So I guess I'm asked, how effective is our use of cyber influence um, in, in, in this space, oh, here it is, I've got it. Information is an unappreciated and underused instrument of government power, you say. Department of State public diplomacy has been eviscerated. Cyber command would rather shoot electrons than ideas. Influence, that's what, not information, sorry. Influence is not represented at the targeting table. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself, but then again, I did, right? You know, you look at the, uh, the, imp the government instrumentalities of power, they often use the acronym DIME, D-I-M-E. You familiar with that? No, what is, tell me. Diplomacy, information, military, economics. Those are five of the instrumentalities of government. Okay. And uh, the I, in my opinion, is woefully unused. And I don't... It, and I, I, it's not peculiar to President Trump either. Okay. I don't believe uh, any of his predecessors did a really good job, personally. So, um, are, I mean, are, so are, are we woefully um, bereft of the type of talent that it takes? Or not the talent, we must have, well, I know we have the talent. Is it the will, is it the, why, I mean, are we not able to do what was just most likely done by the Russians in Poland? Are we not, are, are we, I, I think are we not doing that? Unfortunately, Lawrence, my personal feeling, and, and I guess to a certain degree, my personal experience is that the American approval cycle is never as quick as efficient as the enemy's. Right. And so if you're working for the Chinese government or the Russian government, your chart is pretty simple. Screw with the Americans. I don't care how you do it, you know. Whereas uh, in the world that we live here in America, if the State Department did any of the things that 
the uh, <laughs> the Russians do, there would be uh, big consequences to pay. No question about it. Yeah. So I get. I mean, you know, obviously for good reason, we're stymied from doing certain things in a certain way, but. Um, I could see how it probably cripples us in certain domains, uh, especially in the cyber world. And, and, and if, you world. Look, if you look at the alliance world, I mean, let's look at the global picture. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the traditional view is that the Americans and the five eyes. Yeah, uh, the five eyes, yes. The uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada, Britain, the U.S. Mm-hmm. are exceptionally tight. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true anymore. And, and I don't know what the next layer of the Alliance Onion would look like okay. where the messages are reinforcing. Uh, but watching the news over the past couple of weeks, one of the most interesting developments is the, the United Arab Emirates recognizing Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a Palestinian dude, you go, dude, you're on my side, UAE. What the heck is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a message there, you know. And, I, and there has obviously been a lot of sub rosa work between those two nations, Israel and the UAE, over the years right. on various levels. But... Um, uh, the U.S. information strategy doesn't exist, and it has never existed. And again, it's not, not necessarily the fault of the current president, because no other president has had that either. It's amazing. Um, and I, don't, I, don't, I really don't think most people are even aware um, that that's the case. Um, okay, so I want to ask you um, about uh, mobile phones, because you also wrote about... Um, you know, we've talked about cyber warfare, talked about TV, radio, leaflets, mobile phones. You, you've said that, I'll quote you here, the only constant, regardless of area of operation, is the mobile phone. It appears that no matter where you go, whether urban or rural, developed or not, the cell phone is an important, if not the most important means of communication. To be effective, the I.O., needs to know how to use mobile phones as a medium, but also how to deny individuals the use of their phones at certain times. Right. Or perhaps to alter the messages they receive. Can you talk about the smartphone or the mobile phone as a medium for war? Okay. Well, we all have our, our smartphones. Mine has my uh, security dog on the front. Okay. And, they're like uh, toothbrushes. I'm not sharing my smartphone. And for many people, if they can't touch their phone, they're going to have a nervous breakdown like if they lost their blanket and their pacifier. And so everybody has a phone. So then if you're looking at the information climate, you look at, mm, how can I get to that phone? Well, I need to know the phone number, maybe. And so... Text messages. Text messages are a very important way to communicate. If you control the airwaves, so again, this exercise that I worked last week, the government, the Ministry of Defense and the government of the host nation was was asked the American support. They had all the duty rosters in the military, so they had everybody's phone number. 
So then I could either broad message everybody or I could focus. So I have one list of my leaders. And let's say I define a leader as a, a major, lieutenant colonel, colonel, or a general. Okay. And my leaders also include my senior NCOs, my senior sergeants. Okay. Then I have my rank and file. Now, I might send a different message to the leaders and to the followers. To the followers, I might say, your government is ready to forgive you and grant you total amnesty if you put down your weapons and leave that camp. There'll be no charges filed against you. Okay. And I want to do that. Or I got this convoy coming this way. I might want to send a text message to every phone on that road saying, you better get off this road. There's going to be a bunch of F-18s going to be peppering this road. So you need to get off it. And then the other thing is I might want to just get Larry Dietz's phone and say, ooh, you know where I am. You're following me. That, that makes me a little nervous. Right, right. Or I might want to send a text message to the deputy commander that looks like it came from the commander and screw with the orders. No, I don't want you guys leaving at 0500. Let the troops sleep in, let them have breakfast, let them leave 10 o'clock in the morning, you know. So if I can mess with the information, I can want to send you my messages. Right. I perhaps want to send you specific messages for you personally or the group that you're in. Uh, and or I want to send you a big message because everybody's in a particular area. So lots of ways, but you have to assume a baseline of capabilities on the phone. So you're maybe not taking advantage of how smart it is, but you're just using the, the text message aspects. So this is or, where or if there are particular apps that you know people use. Right. So for example, uh, I'm with a group of other uh, retired colonels. Mm -hmm. And uh, one guy says, well, I used to teach at the Saudi military school. And the way I communicate with my Saudi buddies when I'm home is through WhatsApp because their government can't, right. their government can't crack that. But maybe my government at Fort Meade knows how to do that, knows how to get inside WhatsApp uh -huh. and use it for its own purposes. So, the, the, I mean, so really this is an extension. I mean, you know, the, the truth is this is just another computer. So this is... Right. In fact, it's more computer than most of us had 20 years ago by far. Right. By far. And this, so this is an extension of cyber war. It is indeed. Um, so, I mean, this is more of a, I guess, philosophical question than um, how... Larry, in your opinion, how close are we to entering a world where objective reality no longer exists? Ooh. Well, I need to step out on the veranda, have a cigar and brandy and ponder that one. <laughs> but uh, I think if, if you stop and think about it, so what the hell today? So August 19th of last year looked a whole lot different than August 19th of this year. Today, how many of us spend at least an hour or two a day on Microsoft Teams or Zoom 
or right. WebEx or whatever else is out there. Right. And so our reality is now digital. You don't go to church or synagogue anymore. You Zoom. I mean, and, and if you would have told me that last August, I'd say, whatever you're smoking, I'll take one. Right. Right. So the reality we're in today is bizarre by itself. And we know it's not totally difficult, even with today's technology, to mess with what you see digitally. So how far could that be? It depends on time and money. Who's the bad guy? How much time do they have and how much money do they have? What do they want to do? You can count on there being an awful lot of electrons flying to influence that election in November, you can count on that. That's, uh, you know, it's a, that's a scary, but very, uh, and it'll, it'll range for, it'll range from the really malintent, like my buddy, uh, Val Putin, right. Or Mr. Chi in China to the total nutcase, uh, who's got his uh, gold and his rifles buried under his house in, uh, Utah, you know? One thing about cyber warfare, um, you, I mean, you make this point, uh, as well. I mean, it is leveled the player field, le it is leveled the playing field, uh, for the non-state actor. That's correct. Right. I mean, even what you said about, uh, now you can buy an attachment for your personal drone and drop leaflets, right? Whether it's low, whether it's, you know, the old workhorse of, of leaflet or whether it's, you know, modern phone-based psychological uh, influence operations. Correct. Uh, we're at the mercy, no, you know, populations are no longer at the mercy of just a hostile nation like, uh, like Russia. Uh, now we're at, we're at the mercy of the non-state actor. I think they're calling them super, are they, I think super empowered individuals is the uh the term that i've heard new new term for me new Never term, heard that. term but uh, it's a scary world um you know it's great to know that there are psi warriors out there like yourself um it's disheartening to know that uh we don't have the will to uh do the type of um influence ops that is necessary to to ensure that we're on a, uh, an even keel or at least a dominant position uh, when it comes to uh, you know, the type of campaigns that disrupt our enemies? Well, I, I think of on, on the, the big political level, yeah. it would, it's not maybe the wherewithal, but at least we ought to be smart enough to coordinate the I and the E of dime with the D so that my diplomats have a clear information goal and information program right. and are using what economic means are given them and they need to have sufficient economic means to accomplish the political end. Because I think it was Clausewitz who says war is political by a different means, you know. And so we need to be able to use diplomacy information economics as the way to influence the rest of the world. And we just don't have our act together. Well, that's a great way to uh, wrap up the show. Um, it's, it's been a fascinating discussion, uh, Larry. You know, uh, where can, if, if our audience wants to learn more, and I'm sure they will, um, based on, I mean, we've only scratched the surface um, of so many great topics. Uh, and I do implore anyone watching 
our, uh, our show to uh, tune into your blog. It is absolutely fascinating. Um, and you've got a treasure trove of uh, posts going way back on there. I've uh, done that blog now, Lawrence, for about 10 years. Where can, so where can our audience find you if they want to learn well, more? Well, the, uh, the blog is at uh, PSYOP, P-S-Y-O-P, regiment, one word, psyopregiment.blogspot. Okay. And my personal website is dataprivacylaw.com. And if you think of data privacy, you say to yourself, how smart is that guy that his website is dataprivacylaw.com? <laughs> and if they're interested in uh, security, I work with uh, my principal client where I'm part-time general counsel is talglobal, T-A-L-global.com. Okay. And we've recently published a number of very interesting blog items not the least of which is why Hawaiian shirts are favored by uh, extremists. I'll have to, re <laughs> I will have to read that article. Uh, that uh, sounds fascinating. Uh, Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Lawrence, it's been a great pleasure. Thank uh, you. It's, it's my pleasure. Uh, and I uh, hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you.